Jesus has a heart for you. He came to rescue us from darkness, to bring hope to the hopeless, to reconcile marriages and families, to make the dirty clean, to heal the brokenhearted, and to give us new hearts. These are the things that make Jesus' heart beat faster. Good morning. Everybody good? Awesome. Man, God is in the place today. I'm excited. I believe God's going to do some awesome things. Um, worship was incredible. As always, I thank those guys. And man, I love that video. That, that video may be one of my favorite ones. And I just want to take just a second to say thank you to our creative team, man. They are so amazing. We've been blessed to have so many um, creative people, of which I'm not one. Um, but, but we have so many people here who are so awesome. And I thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing to invest in the kingdom. Um, Man, I've been praying for you guys all week, and I don't even know some of you, but I've been praying for you and praying that God moves in a mighty way in our hearts this week as we start a new series. Um, We're starting a new series called Heartbeat, and this series is geared around the the things that, that when Jesus was alive, and even now, as Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, as the scripture tells us, that makes his heart beat fast. What are the things that gets Jesus excited? Because if we're filled with the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, would that not make sense then that our hearts would beat fast for the same things? And so I want to look at some of these things um, throughout the next few weeks, and we're going to dive in to Matthew chapter 8 today. We're going to begin in verse 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, be looking at one of my favorite stories in scripture today, one of the, my favorite accounts and encounters that Jesus has with someone. Um, but before uh, we get going too much, um, I want to pray for us and uh, just ask God to do incredible things today. Here's the reality. No matter how good the worship is, no matter how good the message is, no matter um, how much we walk out of here um, thinking, wow, that was an incredible experience. If God doesn't move, our hearts don't change. And so my prayer today is that God moves in our hearts, that he draws us near to him, that we would turn to him, draw near to him, because the Bible promises he'll draw near to us. God, thank you so much for the opportunity today to gather. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy and your power. Thank you, God, that your heart beats for us, that, that when you look at your children, God, you, you get excited. And I thank you that you are a loving father, a perfect father, so perfect we can't fathom it. And yet, God, you called us to yourself through Jesus. God, today I pray that that reality would sink in deeper into our hearts as we open our hearts to you, surrender our lives to you. And God, you have your way in us. Do what only you can do today, God. Change our hearts. God, today I pray that you would move us towards wholeness, that you would make us whole, that we would be satisfied only in you. And God, that through us, you would be glorified. Thank you for who you are and what you do. We thank you for Jesus and we pray in his awesome, mighty and powerful name. Amen. Amen. All right, quick question. How many of you have ever left your house or, or um, left to go to work or left to go on vacation and you had this feeling in your gut like I'm forgetting something, right? Anybody ever had that feeling? How many of you have ever been at work and your spouse or your roommate calls you and they ask you the question like this, they go, um... Do you remember if I cut the oven off? You ever get to work and you just have that feeling like, I think I left the oven on. And some of you have done like I've done. You've, all, you've driven all the way from town. We live about eight miles out. Some of you are right in town, so it's no big deal. We live about eight, ten miles out of town. And so I've actually driven all the way from work back home to make sure that the oven was off. Every time it's been off. 
But there's something in me that goes, something's missing, something's not right. And some of you have had that feeling like you're walking out and, and you're like, oh gosh, you shut the door and you're like, did I get my keys? Right? And you wonder, did I get, did I get them or did I leave them? Did I, did I forget them? And some of you, let's be honest, parents, we're in church, we need to be transparent. How many of you have ever had the feeling like, I'm afraid I might forget my child one day? You be honest. How many of you have actually forgotten your child? Raise your hand. I probably wouldn't have told that. But anyway, I'm just kidding. I always had that fear. Like one day I'm going to forget my child and I'd, I'd be riding down the road. And I'm like, okay, he's in the back seat. And we had Dake and well, I never forgot him. Forgot the diaper bag many times, but never him. So, um, but we have that feeling a lot of times like something's missing. Something's not right in my life. Um, I just don't feel like everything is, is the way it should be. Things just aren't in order. And, and, and I realized that from the time we're born until the time we're di- we die, that we can have that feeling. But it's not just about whether or not you have your car keys or you turned off the oven. For many of us sitting in this room right now, there's something in the back of our mind and deep down at the core of our being that is telling us there's got to be more to life than this. Right? Somehow or another, there's something in you that's just saying, this can't be all there is to it. Really, I, this is not, you got into marriage and you thought it was going to be the most awesome thing and you thought like that, that it was going to be, um, you know, prince and princess and then you got into it and you're like, really? And it took you about 48 hours to realize that? You're like, really? And so we, we see in life all the time where there's something in us from the time we're born, there's something that, that's just deep at our core that says there's more, there's more to life, there's more to living. And here's the reality. I would tell you that for every person in here, there is more. And his name is Jesus. And here's the thing. When we're living in him, we find a wholeness that does not exist apart from him. When I was looking at this scripture again this week, I saw it really in a different way than I've ever seen it before. I'm going to read um, Matthew chapter 8, 1 through 4, and that's going to be the base scripture for everything we talk about today. It says, when he came down, meaning Jesus, from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So here's the reality. This, this um, guy comes to Jesus and he's got leprosy. Um, and, and leprosy was a skin disease. There were various different kinds. Some of them were worse than others. Um, some of them would literally make your, your fingers fall off, then your hand, then your arm, your nose would fall. I mean, it was a bad, bad disease. Some of them were just different types of skin diseases that people would get. But the problem for a Jewish person, if they got leprosy, if they got any type of skin disease, they were literally ostracized from the entire community. They were kicked out. They, they, they had to go live by themselves or in a leper colony where with people like them who were messed up, who, who had no hope and who would one day just drift away and die or literally fall apart. And as I was reading this and I was praying about what is, what is, what makes Jesus's heart beat fast? I began to realize that this encounter teaches us so much about the heart of God. 
And I began to realize that this encounter is so much more than just a man coming and say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. It's not just about being clean or dirty. It's not even just about having sins forgiven or being condemned. This is really about a man who is seeking once again to be made whole. All right. Because for him to have leprosy, it it meant everything. It meant that he, he didn't have right standing with God or with people. Jewish people would have looked at him and said, what did he do wrong that caused him to get leprosy? So he he didn't have right standing with anybody. His family was was taken away. He was taken away from his family. He wasn't qualified to participate in worship. He couldn't go near the temple. He couldn't go in and, and worship like everybody else. He was disqualified from participation in worship. He wasn't accepted. He was kicked out. He was banned. There was no acceptance for him anywhere literally isolated by himself or with other people who were just as miserable and doomed as he was. Things weren't in order. Many of you could use a little more order in your life with your family, with your job, with with just your priorities, with everything. Listen, his life was completely screwed up. Everything had been taken away. So when we look at this account with Jesus and this encounter, we have to realize that Jesus is talking much more about much more than just being clean, about much more than even just being uh, forgiven or not forgiven. There's a lot more that he's talking about. He's talking about wholeness in God, wholeness that can only come from himself. Being made clean, being made whole is so important because here's the reality. When you and I are made whole, we become satisfied. And in our satisfaction, God is glorified. And that's the point of living. Here's the awesome thing. God doesn't just tell us, I want you to glorify me with your life. But he also says, listen, the way I'm going to be glorified is I'm going to make you whole. And other people are going to look at your life and they're going to glorify me. That's a pretty good trade, right? I'm going to take your broken, jacked up, messed up life. And I'm going to give you a new one. You're going to be whole. You're going to be satisfied. And in your wholeness, I'm going to be glorified. Pretty cool, right? Man, y'all got to wake up. That is so good. And y'all are like, looking at me all cross. Don't, Don't look at me like that. That is good news, right? That Jesus took our junk and gave us his life. Man, it is awesome stuff that we get to see. We get to see that Jesus's heart beats fast. He gets excited about his children being whole, about his children coming to life, about his children truly experiencing life. His heart beats for that. He longs for that. He died for that. Here's the question then. If that is the case, and I believe with all my heart that it is, then why are so many of us not walking in the abundant life that Jesus desires to give us? Why are so many of our lives broken, not in a good way, like I'm broken for the Lord and I'm pursuing him, but broken in a way like, I don't even know if I want to wake up tomorrow. Why, why, why are our lives that way? Why are our marriages falling apart? Why are we not satisfied there? Why are we not satisfied with our children? And we get away from them and we're like, man, I love my kids so much. You get around them and you're like, I won't, I just, I, I wish I had forgotten them. We're just not content. We're not satisfied. We're not joyful. We don't really bear the fruit of the spirit in our lives. Why is that? Why is it that we can't? Find this wholeness that Jesus promises. I want to tell you the number one obstacle I believe to wholeness is 
incomplete surrender to Christ. When I look around and, and I even look, look at my own life, when I talk to many of you and you trace it back to what is really causing this feeling of, of incompleteness, this, this feeling of, of something's just not right, there's got to be more to this. When I trace it back, I come back to one thing and one thing only, not surrender. I haven't surrendered to the will of God. I haven't surrendered to trust him. I haven't surrendered to give him all to lay down my life and my prayer is that in the next few minutes we're going to be looking at some reasons that we won't surrender to God because I can tell you I've lived this long enough to know when I am surrendered to Jesus and my life is laid down at his feet man I may be in the same circumstances today as I was yesterday but it is completely different it's just different Listen, you surrender your life to Christ today and your husband's a jerk. Guess what's going to happen when you get home? He's probably still going to be a jerk. You, you, listen, man, you've been a jerk for basically all of your life. You surrender your life to God today. You go home. Don't call me next week and go, man, I surrender my life to Christ. And for some reason, my wife is still cold. I had a guy tell me that one day. He's like, man, you know, things haven't been good. He said, but I got up this morning. I made coffee. I wrote her a note. I did all this stuff. And then I came home from work. She's still cold. I'm like, how long have you been a jerk? He's like, several years. I'm like, you think one pot of coffee <laughs> is going to make her swoon and fall into your arms? I don't think so. It's not going to make everything perfect it's not going to change every entire circumstances but this is what i can tell you it will do as you begin to pursue him you surrender your life to him you completely give yourself to him he will begin to move you on a path to restoration and wholeness like nothing else that's not my promise that's the promise of god there's some things that get in our way. I want to give you a few of these things that cause us to not surrender completely to the Lord and that are robbing us of the wholeness that God desires to give us. Listen, I want to ask you, I know this is a huge ask. Ask, A-S-K, huge ask. But I'm going to ask you, write these down. And when you recognize one that you struggle with, when I get to the end of that point, I'm going to give you a way to fight that. I would write that down. And listen, when you walk out of here today, I wouldn't stick it under my seat and I wouldn't just throw it in the trash can. I would put it somewhere and I would look at it again this week. I'm going to give you a lot of information. But I believe with all my heart. Listen, if I didn't believe this would help you, if I didn't believe it would advance the kingdom if i didn't believe it would impact our lives in some way i wouldn't be telling you about it the first thing that hinders us from complete surrender to the lord from wholeness in christ that brings us satisfaction and brings him glory is pride pride and we could preach a whole sermon on this i know that but but this is such a huge issue i mean we, we've got to hit it We've got to talk about it. And there are people in here right now that you would say, well, I'm not prideful. Liar. In fact, right now, you know to go ahead and circle that one. Everybody in here, you ought to be making this motion right here. 
And some of you need to put a little exclamation point behind it. You need to circle it, exclamation point, and hold on to it. Because the biggest issue is pride. And some of you say, I'm not prideful. Well, let me ask you this. How easy is it for you to say I'm sorry when you make a mistake? It's not easy, is it? It's not easy. And here's the thing. If we do say I'm sorry, it's usually qualified with a but. Right? I'm sorry, but if you hadn't done that, leave the butt out, right? Just, just say, I'm sorry, but it's not easy. Husbands, how hard is it to say, I'm sorry to your spouse? In fact, there are husbands in here right now. You've never one time said, I'm sorry to your spouse. And I can promise you this. You've given her reason or you've, you've given her reason that she deserves an apology. We all have. It's not easy. Susan is amazing at it. I guess she's not as prideful as I am. She's quick to apologize. Quick to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I'm in a bad mood. I don't, I don't do well with sorry. I don't do well. It's my pride. It's our pride. We don't like to admit it. Why? Because we're prideful. We don't like to say, I'm sorry. Here's the thing though, this leper, he comes to Jesus and he gets to this place where his desperation for wholeness, his need for a God to move in his life pushed him past his pride. Can you imagine this? The, the, the gospel of Luke, Luke was a physician. He points out this fact. The leper was covered with leprosy. He doesn't just say he was a leper. He says he was covered with leprosy. In other words, it was unmistakable. There wasn't a little spot he could hide under his cloak, whatever he wore. And, and there wasn't something he got. He was covered. There was no doubt that people would look at him and go, that dude's messed up. Everybody stay away. But he swallowed his pride. He got to a point where he's willing to lay down his pride and say, God, I need you. I need you in my life. I need you to move in me. And here's the thing about it, guys. So many of us in here today are not whole because you won't come to the end of yourself. You won't realize that you're not all that. You can't handle this. The lie in church is that God won't give you more than you can handle. Has anybody lived long enough to know that that's not true? Like God has given you more. The truth is God won't give you more than he can handle. And people in here today, listen, you still haven't gotten to a place where you've come to the end of yourself. For many people, it is a cycle of, okay, I'm in need and I'm desperate. I surrender to God. Things get a little bit better. And then you put your hands back on the steering wheel. You say, okay, God, I got this. And what does it do? The scripture becomes true that says that pride goes before destruction. You start to reap destruction again in your life and you go, okay, God, I can't handle this. Step in. Anybody else ever deal with that? Yes. It's, it's a pattern. It seems to happen in our life. But the reality is we should come to the end of ourselves because we can't, hold, can't do it on our own. And here's the other thing. We want wholeness, but we want it on our terms. God is not interested in your terms. God has clearly laid out the terms in his word that we only come to wholeness by surrender and pursuit of Christ. But it's the greatest joy we'll ever know. Other people in here today, your issue with pride and your issue with surrender is that you see it as weak. Because what does the world tell us? That surrender is weak, right? That if you surrender, you can't handle it. You're not good enough. You're a weak person, especially men. We deal with this issue of, I can do this. I've always had to do this. The world tells us that if we surrender, it's weak. I mean, think about it. Nobody has ever been excited at a boxing match when they threw in the towel, right? 
Like throwing in the towel, it ends the fight, it's over. Nobody was ever like, that was awesome. Do you see the way he quit? Man, that was too good. Like Mike Tyson at the end of a fight, he never was like, I'm just so proud of myself for throwing in the towel. He never did anything like that. He was never threw in the towel and then would have been like, I'm the greatest fighter in the world. I love you, Robin. You know, he never did anything along those lines because throwing in the towel is not seen as a strength. It's seen as a weakness. It's seen as defeat. And, and we need to redefine what surrender is, what it looks like in the kingdom of God, man. Being able to admit that I'm not strong. I'm weak. I need help. That's not a weakness. That's a strength. In fact, for some of you, you feel like for your family, I've got to put up this wall of invincibility. You feel like your kids can't see you in a weak moment. And for some of us, the best thing they can see is us in a weak moment so that they can see us get back on our feet. They need to understand we're not perfect. Weakness in the kingdom of God. Listen, surrender in the kingdom of God is not weakness. It is a strength because when we are weak, he is strong. And I'll tell you this, I'd rather boast in my weakness. I'd rather stand in front of 800 people and tell them I'm weak and be strong in the Lord. Because here's the deal. When you fall and you can't get up, I have a foundation that is unshakable. And so I don't even know what to do when y'all clap. Like, it's so weird. I'm just like standing here and I'm like. I want to keep talking, but I'm like, they can't hear me. So I'm just like, I don't even know what to do, but I like it. It's encouraging. Yeah, I mean, we can do it. Yeah. And so, but, but surrender, man, in the kingdom of God, it gives us strength. It's not a weakness. We don't need to walk around whining all the time and and poor, poor, pitiful me. Surrender to God. Listen, it's not a pity party. Surrender to God is finding strength that you don't have on your own. We need to get beyond our pride and surrender. Listen, if you circle this and you should have, or if you put it in your iPhone and you need to put some exclamation marks behind it, then here's the thing I would tell you. You need to be like this leper and you need to bend the knee to Jesus. You need to humble yourself before the Lord because the Bible says that if he exalts the humble, he he will lift us up to places we can't get to. Have you really bent the knee to the Lord? I mean, really and truthfully, is there a time in your life when you say, God, you're all. You're the one I need. I surrender. I admit my weakness, God, and I need you in the knee. Because this is the thing I can tell you. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I would highly recommend that happen on this side. Number two, you've underestimated God. You've underestimated God. Let me explain what I mean by that. This leper could not fully surrender and come to Jesus unless he trusted that God was able to heal and that once he was healed, that he would be complete and that the healing was complete, that he would complete his life, that he would begin to move him towards wholeness, that he would be the thing that he needed. So many of us in here today have underestimated what God will and what God can do. The leper knew if he's willing and if he'll do it, he, he can change my life. And we've underestimated what God can and will do. Here's the first thing. We underestimated what God can do. Now, here's the thing. Most of us in here today would agree and we would believe in a creator. Listen, the most ignorant statement in the world is to say there is no creator when you live in the creation. Hello. There has never been anything created without a creator. It just is. 
And so we live with this expectation that there is a creator, there is something higher, there is a greater being, there's somebody there. And yet when we come to Jesus and we recognize who he is through the lens of Christ and all of scripture, we come to this place of realizing that he spoke everything into existence and yet somehow we begin to doubt that he can handle our mess. Isn't that crazy? He's big enough to create it all, hold it all together. You're talking about having a lot of plates spinning at one time. We think we're busy. Try holding the whole universe together and still knowing the number of hairs on somebody's head. Like you get them all counted and one falls out and you're like, dadgummit. And we think we're busy, but this is our God. And how can we come to this God that spoke everything into creation and is so amazing, holds it all together. And then we come to this place of going, well, I don't know if he can do that for me. What? He's God. I know he can do it for you because he's doing it in me. He can put this back together. He's a big God. But we come to this place where we just don't know if he's able to do and we've underestimated him badly. The next question is, is he willing? And I love this scripture because it shows us his willingness to make us whole, to make us clean, to, to wipe away our sin, to forgive us of our iniquities, that we can stand before him, be made right, be made accepted, have an ability to worship him. And we see in the scripture that this leper comes and, and, and he says, if you're willing, and Jesus says, I am willing. And not only did he say, I'm willing, but he reached out and touched a man who nobody in the world would have touched. Kind of got a little foot stomp thing going there. I got kind of excited. But he touched a man that nobody else would touch. And in fact, by touching him, he became unclean according to the law. But nobody even said, are you unclean? Because he's God. And he touches the man and he heals him. And here's the awesome thing about Jesus and about our lives today. That no matter how messed up and messy and and screwed up you are or you think you are. And and I'm promising you this. There's somebody right next to you that's just as messed up as you are. I look to your right or look to your left. That is a messed up person. Everybody in here. Everybody in here. And finally you are able to have that conversation with them and say, you know what you are? You are messed up. And everybody, but here's the thing about it, guys. Listen, listen, listen. Here's the cool thing and the difference between us and the leper. We don't have to look to Jesus and say, are you willing to touch my life, to make me clean, to move me to wholeness in you? He's already shown us. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess. We know that if I come to Christ and I humble myself before him and I throw myself at his feet and I surrender myself to him and and I allow his life to come into my life, he is willing to make us whole. What an awesome thing. We don't have to question. We don't have to say, God, are you? He's already said, here I am. I am willing. And will we surrender? Will we trust him? Will we quit underestimating him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that he's in Christ as a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. There's some people in here today that I wish I could just grab by the shoulders, look you in the eye and say, what part of that don't you get? What don't you understand? You in Christ are a new creation. Until we start believing we're a new creation, we'll never start living like one. Until we begin to see through the lens of the gospel we'll never be able to walk consistently in the past that he has for us we'll condemn ourselves 
out of the life of God when he doesn't condemn us. Come to a place of surrendering to a God who is able. Number three, unfulfilled expectation and disappointment. This one's huge. This is another one probably most everybody in here could circle. How many of you in here maybe think that this leper, look here, that this leper had maybe had a little bit of disappointment and frustration in his life? He's ostracized from his family. He's, he's banned from his, his friends. He, he can't even come into the town. How many of you think maybe he had had a little bit of disappointment in his life? Can you imagine the day that he began to discover on his skin, maybe on his hand, maybe on his arm, maybe on his leg? I don't know. Maybe it was on his forehead. I don't know. Maybe somebody else told him. I don't know how he discovered it, but that he began to realize that this place was on his skin. And surely, hopefully, oh God, please don't let it be leprosy. But then it began to grow and it began to grow. And finally one day he had to go and show himself to the priest so that they could make a judgment on whether or not it was leprosy. And can you imagine the words as they rolled out of the priest's mouth that you're unclean? Here's the thing I know about a lot of people in here today. You've heard those words from the church. That you're not good enough, that you're not accepted, that you don't belong here. I want to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He came to make us clean, to make us whole, to make us a beautiful bride joined together for the bridegroom, Jesus. But so many of us are living in this place of unfulfilled expectations, disappointments. Listen, when you were five, you never saw yourself in the place you are right now. When you got married, you never saw yourself in the marriage you're in right now. When you got married, you never thought you would be divorced. And here's the reality right now where you sit, you are. And some of you are looking at God. And maybe it's with your health. Maybe it's with an accident. Whatever it might be, you're looking at God and you're disappointed. And you've taken this life experience and you transposed it to the character of God. And you say, God, how can you? If God were really good, anybody ever said that? If God were really good, here's the reality. We've all experienced this. We've all had things in our lives that our hope was, became disappointment. What we thought we would become were not as a parent, you thought, I'll be a great dad, and now you're not so sure. As a mother, you thought I'd always be caring and nurturing, and on the way to church today, you yelled at them like crazy. We understand that. There's this reality that many of us live from this place of disappointment. And here's the thing that I would tell you. Satan loves for us to put our hope in things that are shakable. He loves for us to put our hope in our achievements. He loves for us to put our hope in our status and our quality of life and the things that we have. He loves for us to put our hope in our health. He loves for us to put our hope in our husband or our wife. And listen, your husband and wife, they're not your hope. They're not your savior. They're a partner for life. They're never meant to bring you satisfaction. That comes from one person and one person alone, Jesus. Yeah, we come to this place of 
disappointment. And the thing that I would tell you is this reality. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 12, that hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Many of us have sick hearts right now because of disappointment, because of offense, because of bitterness that all came from unfulfilled expectations. I know for me, one of the things that I've had to talk a lot with my, my kids about, and especially with Reed, is, is trying to get him to understand the word no. Reed is my two-year-old. And can you imagine? I mean, it's so hard. You cannot rationalize with a two-year-old. Like, Reed, don't do that. And he just looks at you. Like, why? And then you tell him, and he's just like, no. He tells me no. I'm like, no, you don't tell me no. I tell you no. No. And so you get to this place, and one of the things we struggle with him with, man, is he loves his bottle. He calls it his bobble. And he loves his bottle. And, and he, every, every day he gets home and, with Susan and and. And he wants his Bible. And so we tried to take the Bible away. But Reed, man, he gets so upset. He gets so mad. And he's just screaming and hollering, I want my Bible. Bible. And he just screams over and over until like, you're almost to that point of going, give him the Bible. And put some Benadryl in it. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> this kid is off the chain. He has gone nuts. And so... But he's screaming and he wants his bottle. But here's the thing. I don't want my son walking around when he's 16 years old with a bottle full of milk. He doesn't understand right now that the things that are going on are good for him. He doesn't understand that taking away his bottle for us to tell him no is actually good. It's actually healthy. Plus, if he keeps drinking, you know, 100 ounces of whole milk every day, he's going to weigh 950 pounds. But he doesn't understand that that, that we have to do things, we have to tell him no. And I want you to understand that sometimes the most loving thing I can do for my son is to tell him no. And sometimes the most loving thing that God tells us is no. And it leads to disappointment. And it leads to, God, how could you if you were good? The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart grows sick, but I want you to listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Actually, 1 through 5. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And listen to this verse. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Here's the reality. When we come to Christ and we are filled with the Spirit of God and we begin to understand that Jesus is God's greatest evidence of being good and we begin to live out of that place when things come that aren't good. And listen, here's the reality. You need somebody to remind you of this sometimes. Here's the reality. I need somebody to remind me of this sometimes. But the reality is when we come to this place of seeing God's ultimate goodness through Jesus Christ that we cannot look at the cross and want wonder is God good but we can come to a place where we trust him even in the midst of disappointment that he works all things to the good of those who love him and are called according 
to his purposes. And it's not easy and it's not fun. But this is what I can tell you. The longer I've walked with the Lord, man, the more comfortable I've become by telling people, I don't know. I don't have to be the one with all the answers. And there's things in life that happen when I say, I don't know. I don't know why children get molested. I don't know. I don't know why children are starving. I don't know. I don't know why marriages don't make it. I don't. I don't know. Some of them I can look at you and give you a hint, but I don't know. Like, <laughs> that's why. But, but the reality of it is, guys, listen, some things I don't know. And I go back to what I do know. And this is what I know, that God is good. If you look at the cross, you cannot deny it. That God is sovereign, that he is in control. That God is faithful. He'll do everything he's promised. And that I can trust him. Because those three things are true. I can trust him. And today, listen, if disappointment, if bitterness, if frustration is what's hindering you from surrendering to the Lord, I want you to look at the cross. I want you to look at a bloodstained cross where Jesus died for you so that you could be made whole. You won't understand everything on either side of the cross. I can promise you that. But the one thing I can tell you is when you look into the eyes of Jesus, you know that God is good. God is good. Look to the cross and you'll understand that. Number four, you haven't moved beyond remorse to repentance. And this is huge in the church today. Back in Matthew chapter eight, you look at this leper and it wasn't enough or it wouldn't work for the leper just to feel bad about his disease. It wouldn't work for him just to regret it and and feel bad about it. He had to go to Jesus. He had to get to the one who could do something about it. And yet one of the things I see in the church more than anything is I see people who constantly, and I have to remind myself of this too, that it's not just about saying I'm sorry. It's about turning from what it is that we're sorry for doing. It's about saying, I don't want to live for that. I don't want to live in that. I'll turn and I'll live for God. So many of us feel remorse. It's really more because we know we got caught than it is that I've broken the heart of God. Have you repented or just said, I'm sorry, this is another lesson I had to have with my children, my own children. I had to talk to them about it because Jackson is very quick to say, I'm sorry. Because I think he's learned if he says he's sorry, he gets in a lot less trouble, right? Dake is just quick to take the spanking. He's like, I ain't saying I'm sorry. I'm like, you're going to get a spanking. You know, I mean, he, he just, it's not that big a deal, you know. And, and, and the reality of it is, though, I had to talk to him the other night. I said, listen, guys, here's the thing. If you say you're sorry, but you don't change anything, you don't turn from what you're doing, are you really sorry? And I actually taught him about repentance. I was like, this is what repentance is. It's turning from this thing that not only is, is wrong, and we've been taught that, that we don't do wrong things as Christians, but it's turning from the thing that leads to death. It's turning from this thing that leads to death and turning to the one that can give life. And it's trusting God that his way is the best way. But we haven't really talked a lot about repentance in the church, the big church. But here's the problem. Acts 3.19 tells us this, that, that Peter tells us, listen, repent. 
and turn to the Lord that times of refreshing may come upon you. Repent and turn to the Lord that times of refreshing would come upon you so that we're not just saying, man, am I sorry. But we're turning to God, the giver of life, the one who can make us whole. We're leaving behind these sin that so easily entangle us from running the race and living the life that God has called us to live. And we come to this place of humbling ourselves, laying it down, surrendering it to God and walking with him. And there's a huge difference in saying, oh, I'm sorry. Turning and walking. We've looked at repentance in the church as this horrible, awful thing that, you know, only hellfire and brimstone preachers look at. But you know what the good news is? The good news is that God has given us opportunity through Jesus Christ to turn from sin and come into life. That's the good news. Go and look at what it says when John the Baptist and Jesus came and started preaching. It says that they preached the good news and then it'll say to repent and turn for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the good news that we have the ability to turn back to the Lord. The fifth one. My question on that is will you make a choice to follow? Will you turn? Is God drawing you? Is he speaking to your heart? Will you turn and Go from just, I'm sorry, to God, I want to pursue you because you cannot pursue sin and pursue Christ at the same time. Number five, you believe that how you are and where you are is what you deserve. There are people in here right now who you will not surrender to God because you think, this is just what I deserve. I made my bed, I'm going to lie in it. I did A, B, and C, I get C, or A and B, I get C. And so you look at that. And here's the thing. I want to confirm your suspicion. You probably do. You probably do. In fact, I would say this. We, as the people of God, deserve way worse than what he's given us. Way worse. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. See, the reality is we deserve whatever God wants to dish out on us. And here's the thing that the Lord spoke to my heart a while back. He said, you know, Brandon, if you would just look at what you really deserve, everything else is a bonus. It really is. Wow. What a different way of looking at it. Because the reality of it is for us that, man, we don't deserve life. We certainly don't deserve to be taken from death to life into eternal life with Jesus. But God tells us that that's what he's done. Here's the awesome news about Jesus. He didn't give us what we deserve. He gave us the opportunity for life. To be made whole. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8 that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that crazy? that you did nothing to deserve his love and his grace and the power that comes from him dying on the cross and the resurrection. But God says, you know what? I love him and I'm going to send my son. And because I love him, he's going to die on a cross and I'm going to give him life. And on the third day, he's going to rise again. And he's going to give life to those who will just come and trust and surrender to him. And, and, and we realize we didn't do anything to deserve it. We can't earn it. And, and yet God just gives it. God just says, here it is. Romans six twenty three. I quoted it a minute ago. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God doesn't give us what we deserve. But so many people in here, here's where a lot of you are. And listen, 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 because a lot of you are in this place where you might not even have a hard time believing that God forgives you. Your problem is you can't forgive yourself. And so you choose this, this path of wallowing 
in the circumstances you're in. And God the whole time is saying, listen, child, listen to me. Lift up your eyes. Look to the hills where your help comes from. Look to Calvary where the cross was erected and where Jesus hung. Come to a place of trusting that I can give you life for many of you. You need to go to the word and understand that God has forgiven you. You need to walk in that same forgiveness, forgiving yourself and being able to come to a place of allowing God or surrendering to God so that you can have the life that he died to give you. My heart for you is that you'd start living like it's possible to be forgiven. The last one I'll tell you that hinders us from surrender is it not that a lot of people in here are not willing to step out of the crowd? We're just not willing to step out of the crowd. You can imagine in this leper's mind, he's wondering, what I do to deserve this? Is this just what I deserve? But he finally comes to this place where he steps out of the crowd. He, he, he parts the crowd. And you can think about it now. With this guy running through the crowd with leprosy, it probably wasn't hard to get people to move, right? He's like, ah! And they're like, okay, well, whatever, dude. And, and, and it's parting and he, and he finally, he runs to Jesus. But you know, he had to step out of the crowd. And here's what I know is that there are people in here with everything. I mean, there's so much in you right now that wants to pursue the Lord. And yet you keep walking back and putting yourself in the same situation, refusing to step out, refusing to be different, always striving to be seen as normal. And so you refuse to step out of the crowd. You refuse to say, I'll follow Jesus. Yes, I will follow him because I recognize he is the only source of life for me. No one else can do what he can do for me. He alone is my source of life. And you refuse to step out and you refuse to be different. But let me ask you this. When you look at our world standard of normal, why do we want to be normal? Isn't normal depressed, frazzled, struggling marriage? Disobedient children? Isn't normal just angry? Why do we want to be normal? Why can't we come to the one and surrender and say, God, I'm ready to step out of the crowd and I want to live in the life that you've given me. Wherever you call me, whatever you need me to do, God, here I am because I am so overjoyed with what you've done for me. And we would come to a place of just receiving what he's given us. And not being afraid to step out. Who gives a crap about what the person next to you thinks? Really? So here's the philosophy that I try to live by. And I'm not perfect with it. But here's my thought. When you can live a perfect life. You can walk through life with no sin. And you can go to a cross and be nailed to it. And shed your blood so that I can be forgiven and made whole and made pure in the eyes of a holy and righteous God. And you can be buried and put in a tomb after you've died. And three days later, two angels come or angels come and roll away the stone. And you step out of the tomb and you go, here I am. And then you ascend to the right hand of the father and you sit and you talk to him about me and tell him, He's one of mine. When you can do that for me, then I'll live my life for you. But until that day, I'm going to live for Jesus. And I would encourage you to do the same. 
Why are you walking in the crowd? Listen. Come run with us, man. Run. Run with the belief. Run with the church. Let's be weird. Just weird in a good way, right? Here's the crazy thing about the first church. They, they, they said, listen, and I think it's in Acts 4. It says that no one dared join them, but they added to their number daily. In other words, there was something about them that people were like, I don't know about him. But then there was something so irresistible that people were coming by the thousands. And the day that we would step out of the crowd and just say, God, here I am, just like I am. Make me whole. I can be satisfied in you and that you can be glorified with my life. I wonder how many of us would do this. How many of us would come to a place today where we became so consumed with the words that the Lord has spoken over our life that we no longer care about the things that hindered us. That we'd be so consumed with gratitude for the cross that we no longer cared about the things that hinder us from pursuing him, from following him. Listen, for people in here today, and there's people here today, that today is the day of salvation because you realize my life's not surrendered. I need the life that only Jesus can offer. There are people in here today, man, you've been holding on to junk, junk that God's been trying to take away from you for years. Today's the day, man. Let it go. And then you know what tomorrow is? Tomorrow is the day to let it go. Because here's the thing. The devil is going to try to put it right back on you just like Jesus took it off. But when you belong to Christ, he overcame sin, he overcame death, and it is all finished. You don't have to fear that Satan, you don't have to fear sin. You get to pursue Christ. What an awesome exchange. I'm telling you my heart for you. Hey, you'd be able to walk out of this place, surrender, moving into a wholeness that you've never known, and that tomorrow you would surrender. Make your bed an altar, and in the morning, hit your knees before you get the day started and say, God, I surrender. I surrender. I wonder how many of us today would be willing to step out of the crowd and say, God, I surrender. Let's pray, Lord. God, we we talk about some heavy things sometimes and I feel the weight of those. I know there's still people with questions and God, I can't answer every question. I can only point them to the answer and that's Jesus. God, right now my prayer is that you would move in our hearts. God, we wouldn't go through the motions today, God, but that people who have been holding on to crap for years and years, God, that they would let it go. We would surrender and we wouldn't take it back up again, God. God, I pray right now that you would speak to the one that doesn't know you, who's never had a relationship with you. Beg you, God, to move in their hearts that today would be the day they surrender their life to you and begin to follow. God, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of those who are walking in bondage, not because they have to, but because they just haven't 
surrendered it to you. Let them know, Lord, that we are here to walk with them. Move in their lives. And I thank you for who you are and what you do.